episode 34, Cutoffs and Coffee. Welcome back, everybody. These are your hosts, James and CT from T3 Performance. Today, we've got an awesome conversation with Dr. Jack Lemon. Dr. Jack, PT, DPT, CPT, got a lot of initials after his name, and you will hear the whole story about how he got all of these as we dive into this podcast. Uh, Dr. Jack is training out of upgraded industries in Menor, Ohio. Again, he'll talk about that a little bit in his story. And he's also the head of sports performance at ISA in that same area. That is the International Sports Academy. Today, we take a deep dive into basketball, the sport of basketball, the injuries that come from playing basketball. A lot of uh, talk about the ACL, what we can do, prehab, rehab, return to play for the ACL. And then we also finish up the conversation talking a lot about the greatest NBA basketball player of all time, Allen Iverson. And it's safe to say Allen Iverson was an underdog when he was coming up through the ranks in the NBA. And today's podcast is brought to you by the underdog Spikey Trigger Point Therapy Lacrosse Ball 2.0. So now this ball itself has a bunch of spikes. You can see how aggressive it is, but it is the best thing that I've used on my hips, on my feet, on my calves. It really gets into a spot. And what you want to do with it is just roll on it until you find something that hurts good, right? And then just breathe through that. Definitely a good thing to do after you play some pickup hoops with the boys, right? Make a couple runs, get a couple wins, all right? Then when you're done, calm down the body with a little rolling on your trigger point ball. And if you don't like what we're doing on the podcast, I am sorry. We'll try to be better. If you do like what we're doing, follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Apple or on Spotify. Listen, rate, comment, share the podcast. Reach out to us. Tell us who you want to have on the podcast, and we'll try to get them on and talk to them. Follow our individual social medias where we tease out who we're going to have on the podcast the next day or the next week. Give you, the listener, an opportunity to ask that guest questions. So here we go. Without talking about it anymore, episode 34 with Dr. Jack Lemon. Enjoy. Dr. Jack, welcome to the show, man. Long time coming. We appreciate you joining us for episode 34 of Cutoffs and Coffee. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to get in this conversation. Wanted to tell a quick story. Um, we have an awesome opportunity. James and I work in different places between T3 and some offsite accounts, and we meet a lot of great people. And one of my favorite things to do is, is match up great people with great people. And so this connection with Dr. Jack came from one of the athletes who I work with at NDC and who, and who Dr. Jack with, works um, with in his off seasons. And um, his, his name's GB, great guy at, at Notre Dame College. And he actually came up to me yesterday in the weight room. And this was, this was funny with the timing. He said, you know, CT, I did something to my ankle. I landed on somebody wrong. What do you suggest I do? And I said, well, here's the first thing you're going to want to do. And before I even finished saying what I was going to say. He said exactly my words, but he <laughs> said, this is what Dr. Jack told me to do. And it was one of those things that I said, Oh, okay, this is perfect. Like we're literally <laughs> saying the same thing. We're talking about like rehabbing his ankle the same way. And I told him, I said, Hey man, he's, he's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. And he said, Oh, I got to check that out. But again, shout out to him. Cause he's the one who, who connected us. So, um, you know, I appreciate all the, all the good work you're doing and, um, thank you for following up with this and finally being able to get on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. GB great kid. Awesome athlete. Yeah, coach, but before we get into um, kind of the, the bones of the, of the podcast and hearing about, you know, everything you do and, and start asking us, um, start asking your, us 
us starting asking you, excuse me, our questions. Um, we want to know a couple of things about you. So number one, what's something that we need to know about you, James and I as hosts, and also the listeners that we can't find from a quick Google search. Okay. So this is one I was thinking about. So, uh, like everybody obviously when you do a Google search, you're going to see the Instagram, like the sports stuff and all that. Uh, I actually didn't go to school like for what I'm doing now for like rehab or uh, like sports medicine until I was 27. So I kind of, you know, I was an athlete all through high school. I, uh, you know, played baseball, soccer, basketball. My dream was to go play basketball and, uh, that didn't really happen. I wasn't that good <laughs> or I should say good enough to like get a scholarship. My parents didn't have like a lot of money to send me to school. So I went the soccer route. Uh, I got hurt my first year. And then after that, I wanted to go, I wanted to be a lawyer. That's how it kind of like all started out. But I think that was just from me trying to like get out of trouble all the time. So I was going to talk my way out of things. So uh, everybody's like, you should be a lawyer. I was like, yeah, it sounds good. Then I saw how much reading and like work they had to do. And I was like, because my grandpa was a defense attorney. So I was like, you know, you watch the shows on TV, it looks cool. And then you actually start like doing the work and you're like, yeah, no, that's, that's a little too much for me right now. <laughs> so I ended up just completely skipping school and I just packed, uh, packed my stuff one day and just moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I lived down there for like six years, bartended in the restaurant business. And uh, I got hurt down there. My buddy was a physical therapist and I went and saw him and it kind of just all like started from there like down there after I got hurt again and I kind of saw the different world and you know lived life a little bit because you know my first freshman year in, in college I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do I just knew I wanted to play sports and I thought that was gonna be my way like out of like going to school and then you get hurt you're like oh well I actually have to do school work now like there's actually stuff outside of sports and I just don't think I was ready for that so that's what I always tell my players too it's like you might not know what you want to do now but if you just stick with you know your love and like who you are and then it'll eventually like figure itself out and you'll find your path of what you want to do no 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 i mean a couple of times probably but <laughs> yeah yeah I, I did that i did yeah, that for a while playing uh, beach soccer and i like because when i was in college i basically i partially tore my acl and my meniscus in college and my foot got stuck in the turf and like twisted and you know, the normal ACL type of thing on turf. And, uh, you know, I did rehab and all that good stuff, but I just wasn't at the top level that I was able to play for college anymore. So I just kind of, I was like, all right, well, this is it. I need to figure out something I want to do and get out of Ohio for a little bit. So I just, one day I just told my mom, I said, I'm going down for the summer. I got a job and then I stayed for five years. Not a bad place to stay, so I I'd imagine. Took the long route. <laughs> James, were you going to say something? Yeah, no, Charlotte's a great place to, yeah. to be. I'm, I'm surprised that you came back to Ohio. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I tried to go to school down there, but the whole, uh, like, I, I was like, I'll take eight o'clock classes. That way I'll get up and I'll go while it's still bartending. So it's mm. kind of like one of those things, you know, you're, you're, I was kind of in that life that, you know, you get out of work at 2 30 in the morning, three o'clock, and then trying to do that. I was like, I need to go somewhere where there's like nothing to do where I'll actually focus and like finish school. And my mom at the time was living in Ashtabula, Ohio. So there's like literally nothing to do around there. So I went there, got a job at a hospital there as an aide, and then just worked my way through uh, through school. 
Like you said, the, the long route. How about um, question number two? The last skill that you taught yourself, being a busy guy, it's hard for you, to, I'd imagine, to find times to work on yourself. But can you remember the last skill that you taught yourself or something that you're currently working on? Something I'm currently trying to teach myself is just relaxation methods and like meditation. That's like the biggest thing is like, you know, just being in like the sports performer training world and being around athletes and being like an athlete yourself and working out. It's hard to just, you know, cut the switch off when you get home to just like relax and like be in tune with just actually just being off of work and not doing the run around all day. So that's something I've been looking into, just, you know, looking at a couple books, trying to do some YouTube videos, start off slow and like try to at least give myself like 30 minutes a day where I'm just not doing anything or not thinking about work or, you know, put my phone away and just kind of focus on myself and try to get myself relaxed and ready just from so my own body can recover it's it's a lot I mean, there's days that like you know you go to bed i go to bed tired like i'm, I'm gonna fall asleep in two seconds i get to bed and i'm wide awake <laughs> it's like just trying to get myself on that, that able to like meditate and just relax shut the system down for a little bit I mean just you know what i mean get away from my phone and close my eyes and focus on my breath yeah. And you try to do that intentionally for, I mean, 30 seconds even, and it feels yeah. like forever. It's such a, such oh, an yeah. interesting process. Um, but then there are also a lot of, um, we had a, a, a mental performance coach on, uh, on the last episode. And, and there's a lot of carryover between what you do there, you know, meditation, when you work by yourself, and then when you get out there on the playing field and things are crazy and wild, and you don't know what's going to happen, if you can kind of center yourself again and focus on your breath. That's, that's so important and, and super helpful. Let's go. You, you told us a little bit in the beginning, but kind of catch us up to where you are now. Tell us your story. Um, you know, growing up what that looked like you said, you, you said you were always an athlete and wanted to play sports um, and wanted to play basketball, you know, and then kind of made your way out there out East and then came back and then, you know, tell us about exactly if, I know it's hard for you to do. And we've talked about this to that at extent a little bit, like what exactly do I do? What's my job title? Um, and then kind of fill us in on, on what you're doing now and where you're at. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, yeah, I was in, you know, in Charleston, I came back and went to school. So I went to, I started off in physical therapy assistant school. You know, I, I kind of wanted to do the physical therapy route, but you know, it's seven years. And I was, I was just thinking like, let me just work into this and make sure that it's something that I really want to do before I just jump all in and like, just say I'm going to go bachelor's and go to grad school. So I went to uh, PTA school at Penn State. And uh, so I graduated from that. Uh, I started working with a Cleveland Clinic affiliate, ACMC, which is an ashtabula around my Geneva Spire area. And uh, so I worked at an outpatient, like sports medicine, uh, worked with, you know, a variety of patients, I think from like neurostroke to like orthopedic post-op patients, and then just the normal like overuse stuff. So I did that for patient care and treatment for six, six and a half years before I decided I wanted to go back and get my bachelor's and kind of start my own thing. And uh, that kind of came about just, you know, seeing the athletes come into clinic and they're hurt the same injuries over and over and over. And like when you're seeing eight to 10 patients a day, and I was there six years, you know, you kind of start seeing the same thing and the same trends. And that kind of got me interested in more of the training aspect of it. Because, you know, I was doing all these treatments on kids that were injured to get them back to playing. And I just kind of linked it up one day. And I was like, 
what if I just added this into like actual training and then just kind of branched off and this is like a protocol and build up the training program. So I started doing that. I went and got my bachelor's at Kent and then I went to uh, University of Finley. Uh, it was like a weekend transition program. So it was like an accelerated doctorate program at Finley. So I did that for two and a half years. And once I graduated with that, I was maybe four weeks. And then I put my two weeks notice in. I left. Well, I was actually training, working with a couple of kids there in the gym that was affiliated with the hospital. Funny story. So I, I'm in there working out and I had a couple guys, you know, their parents worked at the hospital. One kid went to Mount Union, he, uh, played football, played tackle there. And uh, so his dad was like, can you, can you work out with my kid? And I was like, yeah, I'll work out with him. So I started doing stuff just with him, like me and him would work out together. And uh, I ended up having a meeting with the lady, they emailed me and she's like, yeah, well, you can't work out here no more. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean I can't work out? She's like, you're training people for money and building the business off of us. And I was like, this is affiliated with the hospital. And this kid's dad like wanted me just, he's working out with me. I'm not sure. I wasn't making any money. I was just training. He's just working out with me. So once that happened, I was like, all right, I, I need to get out. I need to start doing my own thing. Like I need to branch out. So that's when I ended up leaving there. I came out to Mentor, uh, met DJ, who's the guy that owns the gym and Mentor Upgraded Industries. Uh, he's an MMA fighter. So I went there, you know, just to get a new look at a new gym and uh, started doing a little bit of like my own workouts there. He ended up having a title fight come up. And he just came up to me. We became friends at that time. He saw me working with a couple of guys. And uh, he basically just said, you know anybody that trains MMA fighters? And I was like, no. I was like, I've worked with football and basketball. He's like, well, you're training me. And he went outside, fired his coach, came back in. He's like, we start next week. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, what did I get myself into? I'm going to be training MMA fighters now? Oh, here we go. So that's kind of how it all started, like the, the training aspect of it, of what I do. Uh, I still do work in the clinic, UH, uh, PRN. So I'm in there like maybe twice, two or three times a month uh, in, during the week or on the weekends. And then I do my private stuff at the gym. So I'll do everything from sports performance training. I do rehab there, uh, I do recovery. Like uh, my athletes that come in private, they usually will do three, four days a week of sports performance training and then recovery stuff with them, whatever they need to really get back for their out season. Then now I'm with ISA, which is International Sports Academy. It's a national prep basketball team. Uh, so we have, I'm the head of sports performance there. I handle all the strength and conditioning, uh, recovery. And then I do also like private rehab with them if they get injured. So there's two post-grad teams. And then there's two high school teams, one's a varsity and then one's a national prep team. So the national prep team I actually travel with when we go to away games and like during the season. So that's basically, I mean, right now it's, we're in season, we get done March 15th. I do a little bit of the hospital, a little bit of private stuff during the season, just because I'm gone so long and I can't like be there consistently. And that's, as you guys know, that's like the most important part when you're doing a program. It's like, being consistent with it. So once off season, March 15th, that's when I'll start going into more like some hospital stuff and then, uh, my private business stuff at the gym. So 
you know, Jack, that's a non-traditional way to get to strength and conditioning, to, to say the least, uh, yeah. with a lot of different experiences along the way. Um, yeah. You know, as you start getting into the strength and sports performance world, um, you, you said that there were some injuries that you were seeing um, that, that were repetitive, um, you know, pretty predictable, I guess, from the population that you were seeing. Um, did you have any paradigm shifting moments in terms of like what you thought of strength and conditioning when you were an athlete and then kind of shifting into your career path as a strength and conditioning coach, plus a, a physical therapist um, that kind of changed the way you thought about either performance training or that injury cycle? Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, it's probably two things, but uh, one thing was like, I wasn't, I wasn't big on like taking time in the beginning, like when I was first starting out, even in the therapy world, even with me playing sports, I wasn't big into like mobility stuff, like not just saying stretching, but like putting a focus on like actually like getting your body able to move better, just even without lifting. I was more just, I'm going to go in the weight room, I'm going to lift weights and if I need to jump higher, all I'm going to do is jump and squats. And like, I, I kind of just was set on like, what I knew because I, I mean, I played sports. I graduated high school in 1998. So I didn't have like, when I got hurt my knee, I basically got on a table, they put ice on it, had me do some quad sets and like straight leg raises. And I was like doing the same exercises as the 60 year old guy next to me that had the same thing as me like, but I needed to get back to a sport. So I was kind of set in that way that, you know, you have an injury, this is what you're going to do for the injury. You're going to do A, B and C not really i didn't really look at the whole aspect of it when i first started out of like all right this guy plays a different sport he needs to do these movements do this like this is a mobility issue he needs to get better at and uh just the overall you know programming of it like doing the splitting up programming and uh like building strength speed agility quickness like putting all that together into a program to where it all actually just builds off each other and makes sense for for getting the best amount of work out of the time you have with somebody because you know you get in the gym you got 45 minutes to an hour of like actually getting getting after if you're doing the right stuff and you can get a great workout out of that but i would say yeah that was my biggest thing was leaving when i left I wouldn't say when I left the clinic, but after being an assistant, because assistants, all we do is like the treatments. So I didn't do any of the evaluation process. Uh, we weren't allowed because I wasn't a doctor at that time or a physical therapist. So basically just getting into like the assessment of the whole body as an athlete, like watching how they move, watching how they run, watching their ankle mechanics, uh, landing, jumping stuff. We just actually honing in a little bit more on that because I was I was kind of just brought up like you have an ACL injury here's the protocol and you're going to do it with everybody like, I don't care if they're 12 like 12th grade 11th grade or 60 years old then they're not retired not even get back to doing anything so it's just kind of put my focus on like actually looking at the whole the whole athlete as a whole and even like their past history and past injuries and things that they went into um, yeah, I just wanted to follow up there, Dr. Jack, because you had mentioned 60-year-old, 16-year-old, didn't matter. Same knee injury, same return to life protocol, I guess we'll call it. I, I just had a conversation with a, with a Division II football player yesterday about his return to play stuff, and it was very low-level stimulus. It was very... Um, you know, long-term, Hey, we're going to need you on this, you know, one set of 30 reps three times a week for 
15 weeks and then we'll see you again. I mean, what, what's it going to take for us to bridge that gap a little bit between sports performance coaches and James does it all the time works with return to play guys all the time. Um, we feel like there are things we do that are beneficial. And then on the PT side, obviously there are things they do that are beneficial, but what's it going to take for us to eventually bridge that gap? Yeah, I think it's like, not only just like, and it's hard to depend on where you work at. Like for, for the clinic, we had like athletic trainers that were with us. So they, they were able to like, when I first, when I started getting into like actually the strength and conditioning part of it, they're actually there with me. So I'm able to be able to like show them and then pass them off on there. But the big thing, like I, I found was just like, just the communication and then acting like, you know, you're not separate. You're actually trying to get the athlete better. And I think there's like this separation between everything like physical therapists will have their like they can see it on Twitter, like physical therapists, Twitter, like they'll have their like, oh, we're doctors and we do this. And then I'm like, but you're physical, like you're basically I'm a physical therapist and I don't even look at it like that way. I just everybody called me Dr. Jack because I was they called me that before I even graduated, <laughs> just like stuck with me. So I used it. But uh that and then like strength and conditioning stuff, like return to play uh, sports performance uh, there just needs to be like a continuance of care for everything and the hardest thing you see in the clinic is insurance like they'll they'll have different insurances for everything and i've had an acl post-op athlete you know high level high school athlete going to college like wanted to play division one basketball and they gave them 12 visits for physical therapy post-op so it was like so I'm going to see them once a week for 12 weeks. And that's like, what do you want me to do with that? And then they're gone. And, you know, some of these people, they don't have a hundred dollars or whatever, $120, whatever the hospitals like cash pays are to come two, three times a week. And so then they just get like lost in the shuffle or they go to somebody that's a trainer that doesn't know what they're doing. Like, obviously you guys do a great job. Like I would, if I could send my guys to you guys, I'll do it. <laughs> like, but then some people are going to work out with their uncle. Who's, you know, he played basketball 20 years ago. He knows what he's doing. And then you're like, Oh shit. I just did all that work. Now, <laughs> now they're going to this. So it, it's, it's hard to like set people. They just need to like check their ego at the door and just understand it's all about the athlete. It's not about what degree you got, what certification you got, who does this and that. It's just you need to just focus and like be educated on like which what clients are walking in your door and what type of athletes you got coming in your door. Like care about if you're a sports performance guy, care about that they had this this surgery and like what you have to take care of. If you're a therapist, like educate them as much as you can and talk to the people they're going to train on afterwards, like just communicate. So we're kind of starting to talk about, you know, the, uh, the athlete that you're in front of, um, you know, let's say you do have a return to play case where you are getting an athlete in the sports performance setting, and he's already been cleared through, you know, uh, PT, if he did it somewhere else, and now you're working as a performance coach. Um, what are some of those first, you know, couple of sessions look like um, for you to get to know that athlete and, and kind of, you know, dive into that holistic approach that you were talking about earlier in, in your paradigm shift? Like, what are some components of that holistic approach that you like to, to look at at that athlete in? Okay, and usually, like, I kind of treat it just like I would, like, a, almost like a physical therapy evaluation the first time I meet them. So usually by the first time I meet them, I've had, like, talks with them on like social media or text or they've reached out or I know their, their surgeons sending them to me. 
So I'll basically just review all their records, like uh, what surgery they had. I'll get their last physical therapy notes from the therapist. Uh, so I'll review all that stuff to kind of see where they ended at, like what they're still lacking, if there's anything, any questions for that before I meet them, I'll just, I'll just call the therapist. But when they come in to, the, to me, I'll basically just do like a fast, like, you know, thorough orthopedic exam, basically, depending on what it is. So it feels like an ACL tear, I'll like get in there, I'll measure their, their extension, make sure they got full extension. That's something we need to work on, see their knee mobility, work on their ankles, just kind of see how their hips are moving. Because a lot of times, like, like we were saying, like physical therapy, they, they kind of just treat the, the issue that's going on. So you have a knee injury, more times out of none, their hips are going to be tight. They haven't been doing any upper body type of stuff. So it's kind of like just doing a body assessment, orthopedic assessment, I'll go out and do, uh, they're not too far. If they're able to still jump and like do all that stuff, I'll do jump testing with them, test their vertical, do some lateral testing. It's like just basically a lot of, depending on the sport, I'll just test on, do the test based on their sport and what they're doing. It's like basketball, I'll do their vert tests. I'll do a 5-10-5 test, do a T test, and then like just the overall conditioning test on the treadmill just to see how, how they are conditioning wise. You know, just kind of formulate the plan around there. I like to do like, almost like a phase training type program. So I'll make sure that like all their mobility is there with their squats, their single leg stuff, RDLs, and just make sure they kind of got that, that form down, the basic form. And then I just start like stacking stuff on top of that based on like what sport they're going to be returning to. Have you just always been drawn to basketball and that's how you ended up kind of in this, in the situation you're in now? First I was working with, uh, like I was saying, the kid from Mount Union. So he was an offensive tackle. He was there four years. Uh, that and like baseball and basketball, like football and football and baseball was like the first stuff. Cause that was like the main athletes in, in the town I was at. Like there's a lot of baseball and football guys. So uh, I started off there and then went into the basketball realm. Once I, uh, my buddy was at Cleveland state. He was actually a grad assistant there. And he had one of his players get hurt. And uh, Kenny Carpenter, he actually plays overseas now. And uh, that was actually my first basketball, like kind of like call it like big time, like basketball guy I started working with. And he came in for four weeks. I worked with him and he was like, I'm coming back next summer to work with you. And I was like, and me, I'm always like, whatever, I, I'm like, everything I do, it's simple. Like everybody probably knows this. And then once you start working with people, you start realizing, shit, maybe I do have like something that, some knowledge that other people don't have that are training people that's working. So I never really put two and two together until I started working with a lot of basketball guys. You just started seeing their progress over like eight weeks, 12 weeks that they're home during the off season. And then, like I said, doing their tests and then retesting them and just having that verification that, you know, they're getting better. They like to see results. So that's, that's the biggest thing is being able to test and retest them. So they see that things are getting better. Not just saying, oh, good work. You get your grind and you're doing better. You're good. <laughs> well, I think a common thing that, that we say too is like, you know, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. So even if you take like a simple exercise, like a single leg RDL, right? We could have two different coaches with the same athlete talking them through a single leg RDL and having them perform that exercise. And depending on how one coach communicates that uh, versus another coach, we might get completely different outputs from the same exercise. Uh, you know, do you feel like that that's something that you've been able to hone in on with with your coaching is like how you're communicating because you have this physical therapy background, you, you know, a, a deeper dive into 
what what mechanically should be happening and you're able to relay that to, to your athletes in a different way than maybe strength coaches they've worked with in the past yeah and i think it's just the thing i see the biggest thing is just being like that detail oriented with stuff so you know you're just talking them through like what they're doing their mechanics you know the hip hinge and all that stuff and like making them understand like some of these athletes are six nine six ten that i'm working with and they're in here and they're like their mobility is not that great just because they haven't focused on it. And they're like, yeah, I was getting yelled at because I wasn't going ass to grass when I was squatting. And they're like, then it's kind of like frustrated them because they just don't have the mobility to do it. So then they get in their head that they're doing it wrong or it's not helping. And so just being able to like be detail oriented, but enough to where they're going to understand it. I don't get too like medically termed with it so that they're just not like, just kind of cut me out and not listen to me. So like, yeah, it's, it's huge building a rapport. And what I, what I always tell people is like, it's, it's easy to build a good program for an athlete, but it's, if they don't buy into it and don't want to do it or don't like you, then it's not going to matter because they're not going to do it anyways. So it's just being able to build that rapport with the athlete and then kind of educate them as you're going through stuff, show them how to do things. Like I use a lot of mirror stuff so they can see like in the mirror, I record them then show them like here this is what you need to work on and then just kind of test and retest even with the movement stuff just until they get it down or just use a different variation to where they're gonna they have to you know bring it down a level to where they can use a device or use something assistant so they can get that technique down we really only use mirror stuff when we're pumping these arms up yeah I know. <laughs> we gotta start yeah yeah we gotta start using yeah. it for, for some other things it is there's a lot of benefit to recording an athlete and showing them how they move. But I think there's also a, you know, kind of a mental, emotional, psychological benefit about them training yeah. in front of the mirror sometimes when we're, you know, working on aesthetics. Um, you, you kind of brought up a point that I wanted to talk about earlier a second ago, when you said it's just making, it's making this connection and, and communicating with the athlete. You told us your story earlier, your, your buddy who you ended up training um, the, the MMA fighter he fired his coach to train you. And I'm thinking, well, it, it wasn't because you were giving him the perfect program and it was the sets and reps and it was the exercise selection. I'm thinking it's because of just the conversations that you were able to have with him to yeah. get, you know, a certain level of buy-in um, that was different than, than his other coach was doing. And I think in this space, being sports performance coaches, it's so easy to roll out programs and to look at numbers and sets and reps and say, that's, this is where the progress is made. But it sounds like you keep coming back to stories where it's, it really doesn't have to do with that. Yes. It's important here and there, but you have guys, you know, coming from Croatia and overseas to work with you. And you have guys who go play a season and come back to Menor, Ohio and, and, and work with you. Um, do you think that's, I mean, a big part of one of your strengths is, is just communicating and being able to, to um, talk with these athletes? Oh yeah, that, that's, I think that's the most important. Like, obviously you want to have the base of the knowledge and know how to train and do all that stuff so they don't get injured and you don't like do something crazy with them. But yeah, I think that's a huge, a huge part of like what I do and just how I even get players is a lot through word of mouth. Like my social media, I haven't really, I didn't really focus on that too much until probably probably last year when I first signed or a year and a half ago when I signed with ISA and then as more athletes I started working with I was like you know I need to start like putting this out there and start talking to people and they're like this is the first podcast I've ever done 
So I like me and my buddies were talking about doing one. I was like, yeah, it sounds cool. Like, I don't know, we'll see. And then when you messaged me, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go test test that out, test the waters. And so so if I'm rambling, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I talk a lot. No, you're yeah. you're allowed to a, ramble. We're not, so keep going. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that was the biggest thing with DJ. Like uh he saw me working with a couple like athletes, like I'd have like six, seven, six, eight guys like doing stuff that he couldn't do. And he's He's probably like five, seven on a good day. Pretty athletic. Like he can do back flips and stuff. But like the guy that was training him, he had no, he had zero. If he's a boxer, fighter, MMA, he had no like rotation ability. His hips were off. He was basically just right here the whole time. And then he's watching these athletes do stuff that are like, you know, they're skinny. He's got a bunch of, but DJ has a bunch of muscle. And he's like, how the hell are these kids doing it? I can't even do that. Like, how are they doing that? So you always ask me, then we just get into conversations about like mobility recovery. He's like, yeah, I don't do any of that. I just go in there and fight people. I was like, yeah, well, if you want to look at a different approach of fighting, I was like, your punches are going to be harder. Your kicks are going to be harder. You know, you're going to, you got to train the ranges that you want. Like that's going to build up your muscle. Like, so we started working on a lot of that stuff, just having them before I even started training them. I just started doing like mobility and recovery stuff with them, you know, just adjustments and like trying to stretch his hips out doing some exercises, uh, to like for boxing and MMA type guys. And then, uh, yeah, after that, a couple of weeks, he just went out and he's like, you're training me now. It is very interesting that we still see that today in, in sports oh. performance. And, and we'll, we'll get into um, different, different schools, offsite contracts through T3, and we'll work with athletes who have had strength coaches before who have our same job title, but, oh communicate things and do things completely differently. And it's, it's mind blowing. Sometimes some of the, some of the poor um, training protocols that we, that we see out there. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, you th- you said, well, I, everybody knows this stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not doing anything special. And I think it does come down to just being able to, um, to communicate all that stuff to, to athletes because a lot of athletes have had coaches, but not every athlete has had a good coach. And I think when you actually find a good coach, that's how you get all that buy-in. That's how you get guys coming back. That's how James gets athletes to come back eight, nine, 10 years in a row from high school to college to post-college when they're playing professionally, all come back to work with them just because of that. Yes, we're doing the same thing. We're not doing anything crazy, but we're just doing it at a different level and have a different level of communication with the athletes. Yeah. I think you see too, is like, you know, they, I see a lot of strength coaches and even therapists, how I said they just treat one thing and this is what they're going to do. Like you see a lot of strength coaches or even on strength, uh, strength and conditioning Twitter stuff. It's like they're basically training athletes like bodybuilders. It's like, you know, you're going to do, you're going to do chest and shoulders a day. We're going to do back and buys tomorrow. We're going to do legs. And then it's like, I've had a basketball player come in. This is right after COVID. And uh, he ended up coming to our school too last year. But, you know, 17,000 points, great kid, went to Warrensville High School. Uh, he, his dad messaged me. He's like, yeah, I got to get my kid with you. He's like, he's been training with this guy, and he's just getting fat. He's like, and this kid is a guard. And he comes in. You can see him on my he's on my Instagram. I got a before and after picture of him. But he came in, and I was like, and this kid was super quick, like ridiculously quick. And I saw him, and I was like, is this the same kid that's like, that I was watching all these videos on? So I asked him what he was doing in his workouts. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, we'd have chest and tries one day, we do shoulders and he's doing all machine work. Like, and this guy's just loading them up, like trying to beef them up. And I'm like, dude, this is not good. Like, 
you got to play basketball. You're a point guard. Like, you need to start doing some, like, single leg rotation stuff, like multi-plane, like, stuff that you're going to be doing in the game. That's what you need to do. And so it's just great. Like, they just think – a lot of people just think, like, you just build muscle. Like, that's what you got to do. And they just forget about all the other stuff. Like, oh, he's getting big. I'm like, but can he move? Like, it's – Cause I went that route. I mean, I, when I was 31, I went to try to do the body. I was 168 pounds and I was like, I'm going to do bodybuilding. Why not? I got up to 238, like in two years, just bodybuilding. And I started training athletes that next year. And I was like, dude, I couldn't even do an agility ladder. And I used to be able to dunk when I was like in high school and college. So I'm like, I can't even go up steps now. I'm tired. I was like, so I couldn't imagine like what these kids are going through that have these bad trainers. And then to go to somebody else and have them that know what they're doing and they're putting through all this stuff and they're probably like, Oh shit, what is all this stuff? Like, I don't want to do this. We're going to go back to the easy stuff, but we just throw a weight around. Yeah. Just cause you follow, um, men's men's fitness or muscle and fitness on Instagram does not make you a, not make you a strength coach. Um, last question, Dr. Jack about kind of the ACL stuff. And then I want to, I want to move on to, to some of the other notes we have. Um, but we, we understand that now we can't, we can't, prevent injuries in sports. That's just something that that's impossible to do, but are there things that you've been able to see maybe after you've rehabbed some athletes and gotten them back onto the court, gotten them back into the gym that you've now started adding in the beginning of training programs to hopefully help kind of reduce the um, chance of injury for some of these athletes. And, and if there are things like that, that you've been able to see carry over um, and help keep athletes healthy, what are some of those things that that you've been able to do? Yeah, I mean, let's see. So ACL wise, probably the biggest thing is like taking them to do like getting them out of the clinic and just getting them on a court, even if it's just little things like, you know, sidestepping through a like a, a hurdle or like getting something that's like more basketball, I would say, or sport focused, even if they're not doing like the whole full like contact thing, just to get their mental, their mental game right. Because when you're in the clinic working with a lot of these kids and you're doing the same thing for, you know, two to three months, it just gets taxing on them. And it's, it's even got to the point where I'll bring in athletes that have had ACL surgery and they're, say, at week six or seven or month six or seven, and they're jumping and doing all this stuff just to get the kid that's not doing anything like mentally prepared, like, oh, shit, like, I'm not, I'm actually going to get to that point. You know, when you get hurt, you think that's it. I'm done. Like I'm doing quad sets for 20 minutes on a table and like, I'm not, I'm never going to get back to the sport. Like my leg, I can't even, like, you can't walk, you can't jump, you can't do anything. And then you see all your, your friends, you're used to being competitive and you see all of them still playing. So it's one of them things, right? I try to bring in another athlete so they can see like the progress that they went through and kind of where they're at right now to show that it does get better. And then just implementing like, even if it's just small, like agility drills at on the court, like somewhere in a different environment, just so they can kind of, you know, get picked back up mentally and physically. And then adding that stuff in earlier, along with, you know, it's okay to load, load patients. It's okay to load people after they had surgery, like as long as you're within that time. And my, my thing at first was like, I was always, when I first started, I was always scared that I was going to like re-injure them or load them too fast or do this or, Oh no, they can't do a squat because what if their knee? What if something happens? Like the body's resilient. Like if you have a good surgery, like once you get to the point where all your you know beginning basic stuff, your range of motions, back your quads starting to work, 
you can start adding in like sports related stuff. It doesn't have to be full go. You don't have to be jumping and landing and like doing like you're playing in a basketball game, but just adding in that, you know, obviously the mobility part and recovery. I do a lot more like hands-on stuff now, even if it's, you know, I do dry needling, cupping, all that stuff. Not as like a treatment itself to like fix anything, but just for something to like help them loosen up before we work out or something. It's just going to like, even if it's mentally just in their head that like, okay, yeah, that feels good. Like I feel better just to get them going. Whatever's going to motivate them to, to get up and, and get going is, is what I'm going to do. So I just, have a lot of things, bags of my tricks that depend on the person and their personality that I can like pull out, try to get them going. But yeah, they, after surgery, ACL, it's kind of like the same thing. It gets boring and monotonous at the same time. I was seeing six patients sometimes a day of ACL and I'm just sitting there like, oh my God, like, all right, quad sets, straight leg raise, your hip stuff, I'm moving them around. All right, next one, 45 minutes, same thing. And I was like, God, this has to get, we're missing something here. Like we can't be doing this for two months. And, and then when you have your own business, it's kind of easier to like branch out of the physician like protocol and like what you're supposed to be doing in the clinic. And you can get more into the sports related stuff quicker, faster than you can. And that, and like I said, loading them earlier. And so as you were talking about, you know, loading an athlete and, um, you know, almost like that anxiety that an athlete might experience, because I think there's kind of like two different types of athletes coming out of injury that I've seen is, is you have, you know, the gung-ho athlete who's just like, go, go, go. I want to be ready yesterday to play. And you have to slow that athlete down. Uh, but then the other side of it is the athletes who are a little bit more apprehensive through movement. Um, and this kind of ties into something that, you know, we'll kind of go into here is the, the mental aspect of recovering from injury and performance. Um, and I have one athlete who's, who's coming back from a knee injury. Um, you know, he's getting ready for, for lacrosse trials coming up here. Um, and, and we have a, an incredible treadmill that goes up to 25 miles an hour. It's called a Woodway. Um, and so, you know, we do intervals on that, you know, A, to help his, his running mechanics and, and B, to get his, his conditioning back so he can run repeated sprints. But um, when we get into the harder reps, ev after every single rep he gets off, he'll touch the back of his knee. And, yeah. and I'm like, dude, you got to stop doing that. And he's like, what? Yeah. Stop doing what? And I was like, dude, every time you do a single speed rep, I don't care what it is, you touch the back of your knee. Do you realize that sending a, a message from your brain to your body saying, my knee is still hurt? And so I was able to have a really good conversation with him about it. Um, but can you dive into that mental aspect of recovering from an injury and how that ties into, you know, performance and mental performance down the road with athletes who are coming back from, from these, these injuries? Oh yeah. You'll see, you'll see, like you just said, that just the touching in the back of the knee, you'll see them almost to the point where, uh, when you start working on like, you know, you get off the table and you start actually doing some more like, you know, running or performance type stuff, you can almost like see in their face, like if they make a move and they're like, they want it to like give up. They think it's just going to like break their legs and snap off. So it's like getting to the point where you can push them to where they can see that, yeah, your body's able to do this now and like you can do that. And even if some kids are like, you said the apprehensive ones that, you know, they don't, they don't want to do anything because they think they're going to get hurt. There's even simple things of just like, you know, all right. So you're going to, you're using your left, you had surgery on your right. Now all you're doing is using your left leg to off balance, take pressure off that. Cause you think you're going to hurt it. I'll just take the whole leg off and put it on a stool and have them do stuff. Just putting all their weight on that leg. 
even just taking like so they can't compensate and just looking for the compensation patterns when they're training but yeah it's it's huge with the with the athletes and the mental side of it because you know they're used to going full go being good at what they're doing and then you know they get cut down to where if they're not competing and they're not doing anything anymore so it's just like that reassurance you know factor and letting them know like you know you had surgery you're you're good to go now like we can start working on these things like you need to progress and that's what i was saying too is the biggest psychological parts you know bringing in somebody that's been through that surgery that's ahead of them to advance like a couple months so they can see that you know, this does get better. It's not just them in the clinic worrying about like their injury, like you said, and just seeing that there is, there is progress, there's light at the end of the tunnel and they will get back to that, that point. And obviously, you know, it's dependent on the athlete too. Some of them are, they want to get right back and go. So you do have to hold them back. And then that's kind of like, when you use a little like scare tactic, like, you know, it's like, you don't want to be doing this yet because, you know, you're going to be out another year, just take it, you know, a couple months at a time and see where we're at. But it's, yeah, it's tough depending on what level athlete you work with. The age range is also like difficult. Adolescents, they don't like to talk. So it's just trying to get them to like, ex you know, explain or tell you like kind of what's going on in their life and just building that rapport with them overall. That it's what it goes back to is like having them if they trust you they're going to believe in what you're telling them and they're going to kind of do a little bit more of what you're doing and then just have them showing them through like what their performances and their exercise and strength that you know you're at that level you can start doing this stuff now a little bit early on about about kind of your your strength background and i know if you go far enough back on your instagram page you can see some some pictures of dr jack at about 235 <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, big and bulky and flexing. And you think, oh boy, this, this is the same guy. Um, and so I, I kind of want to transition to talking about how, and this has come up in the last couple conversations we've had um, with kind of basketball specific coaches as uh, the fact that a lot of times basketball players, I think just the sport in nature, or maybe the availability to basketball hoops in basketball is kind of, you know, in any park or in any gym. Um, a lot of times we see basketball players won't prioritize strength training because 365 days a year, they want to prioritize their skill and ability on the basketball court. And that doesn't ever let them peak or optimize other parts of their life. Um, I, I think you're in an awesome position because you not only do the strength training with them, but you also do the skill work. So you're able to kind of um, feel out the athlete and see physically where they're at and where they need to be. And then sometimes you travel with them. And again, we can talk about that a little bit moving forward, but what are some of the things that you think our basketball players need to understand about strength training that they don't get because they're always thinking about how they can, how they need to spend more time on the court to get better at the sport of basketball. Yeah. The simplest thing I tell them is you want to jump faster, run faster. You need to strengthen your muscles up. And that's kind of what I go over them with even at the beginning of the year, you know, because the skill stuff, all that playing, dunking, yeah, it looks good on social media. I was like, but if you're not in the in the weight room, like working on certain things, like even it's injury reduction, you want to play a whole year, 40 games and we're traveling, like you need, your body needs to be resilient. So this off season is huge. You need to be in the weight room, like worrying about that stuff. Skill stuff you can do on your own at any time. Like this is going to be more like toning you up to get ready for a season that they probably never experienced before because they've been in high school and it's 
know, high school, you're playing Tuesdays and Fridays, maybe a Saturday. And it's kind of like, you know, you have practices after school. Well, the kids that come to our school, you know, they're basically there to play basketball. So it's, you know, you got two hour practices, you got skill work, you got workouts. So it, it drains their body. You know? So you guys need to focus on this, the strength stuff a lot more now, not only to get ready for college, because when you get to college, it's going to be a whole new, it's going to be a whole new beast when you get in that weight room. You're going to, you don't want to have your eyes wide open. Like, what the hell are these guys doing? Like crazy, they're monsters. So I was like, just building up their, their mental for that and making them realize like, the skill work will get better when you do the strength work and the mobility and the recovery and the nutrition and sleep like everything that goes into the sports performance stuff is going to just assist and make your skill stuff even better but it seems like like you had mentioned high school athletes you know play like once or twice a week and then the best ones are going to go play some type of aau or some type of travel ball and they're going to play way more frequency is going to be way up from their actual sports season so what can an athlete do to kind of prepare their bodies when they ramp up aggressively into playing more and traveling more and sleeping less and eating crummier right like what what can they do kind of earlier in the season to hopefully help themselves you know feel good moving moving forward through those crazy schedules of, of their travel seasons yeah so like earlier in the season at least with our guys so we'll have like a, we usually have a 10-week like off-season preseason before we start games so that's that's kind of when we get in there and i uh, start addressing like the education for everything like the nutrition like how to take care of their bodies and hydrate and the sleep issues and uh, i actually have a whole like mobility program because we use like an online platform team builder for like all of our stuff, like I put the lists and then we have documents for all their, their stretching, mobility and injury reduction stuff. So basically just getting them in there, going over everything so they're, they're familiar with it. And then throughout our workouts, I always add in like a, you know, a type of like mobility, cool down type of program so that they're actually familiar with it for that when the season comes in, I can say, all right, go to this, we're gonna be doing this document, everybody, just go in the weight room we're, this is what we're going to go over so it's not like you're not teaching during the season and having to like worry about uh any issues that might arise they kind of know what to go to if they're having like oh my knee telling me hurts like we know what what to go to exercise wise and like what to do recovery wise for that and then having them just make sure they reach out like to me during the season because like you said there's there's a lot of kids that i get in uh the off season they play AU. And like I was telling, I don't know if I was telling you or it was in the live, but these kids are playing, you know, five, six games a weekend. And then that turns into like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they got six games. So that's 12 games in like one week. And then some of these kids that I get in, they're not really lifting during the season. And, you know, I talk to their parents and they're like, well, it's, they got practice and they got games. So, you know, I'm going to wait till off season. I was like, the seasons when you need to be like we just did all this work to get to the season and now you're not going to lift and lose all that and then you're going to come back and want to start all over again like they need to be doing at least like you know at least two days during the week with like some type of strength training mobility work and stuff like that and then gets into the same thing like who's their strength coach at the school and who's doing this and 
you know, it's, it's, it's easy for me because I have control over all that with all our teams. Like I can do their recovery, their rehab, their strength and conditioning. I'm with them so much that I can even just watch them walk in and I already know like, oh, is your back hurting you now? Because just by the player's personality and how they act, and, you know, they have something when they're injured, they're like, get hurt. I'm not trying to sit out of practice one day. So, yeah, I mean, throughout this, it's a grueling, the prep thing's a, a grueling season. So just making sure they're up on, like, they're taking care of their recovery, taking care of their body. And then before the season starts, actually, like, putting 100% effort into, like, the strength training and the programming. Because once the season comes, you know, we kind of cut down on some of the heavy, heavier lifts here and there because we have three, four games a week and we're, like, traveling, too. So it's harder to get them like consistent workout days in. So we're trying to do even before games, we do some stuff after games we do stuff. So it's just trying to find that schedule to where, you know, where it fits in correctly and just program it right. So you're not, obviously you're not going to be in there doing a, a meathead lift before a game, but still moving around doing some stuff that's going to, that's going to make a difference to help your, with your injuries rates decrease and, just keeping them mobile throughout the whole season. You know, we, we've talked a, a lot, um, you know, a little bit about like some of the recovery aspect of how important that is for these athletes to be able to go, you know, in, in that long-term season of, of year-round basketball. And even those guys that are playing AU, that doesn't mean they're not playing pickup games on the side. Um, oh, yeah. and, and we get into some pretty aggressive pickup games on Fridays with, with the T3 staff and, I'm just, you know, wanted to pick your brain on like, how do we recover from some of those intense, you know, five on five um, games? Like what are, what are some of the recovery protocol that you have built in with, with your athletes that maybe me and CT can start incorporating. So we get our bunnies back. <laughs> our whole, I mean, obviously it's going to be athlete dependent and what the, what their problems are, but Usually, like when we have a long week of games, uh, I take advantage of Norma Techs, uh, some massage gun stuff. Roll, I, rolling, we do a little bit, but basically, I just have them like get up and move around, like so they're not just sitting stagnant like for so long. Because you know, you get sore and we have long bus rides. There's sometimes we're in a bus for six, seven hours. We try to stop, you know, get out, do some stretch, move around, even walking on a treadmill five, 10 minutes just to get your blood pumping and moving around. Uh, we do utilize like ice baths when we have, you know, a couple back-to-back -back games and the guys are just really sore. But for me, I, I just tell them, I'm like, the worst thing you can do is just not do anything. So you want to like get up, maybe do some yoga. I'll send them like different videos here and there. Uh, GBG, uh, Mike G has some like good mobility videos that he does with his athletes. Uh, so I'll send them like a video of like eight exercises. They can just put on their, their, uh, phone and watch and we'll go through like the movements and the yoga stuff but yeah I mean it kind of just depends on how many games we had what if it's actually just like an injury or if it's just like their body's just toasted just from like playing so I try to just get them moving with the less amount of loads through their body and just kind of like get everything moving so they can just get some blood flow and just use different things to switch it up so it's not always like oh i gotta go stretch i gotta foam up because they, they get i have to like beg these guys to stretch and i'll have like i'll come in and they're like dr jack can you stretch me and i'm like dude what'd you do at home i was like what do you want me to stretch you're like my low back hurts i was like all right what's two of the exercises in the document for your low back and they're like i don't know you usually stretch me i'm like dude you need to be doing these three times a day like 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I think especially like with with your setting too, because right, these are college prep kids. These kids come to see you because their goal is to play college strength, like yeah. college basketball, and they're going to be in that open environment where like there's more guys on the roster. There's not as like secluded of a unit that's working together for the same goals, and they're going to have to take some ownership in terms of their own recovery because you don't know the the level of strength and conditioning program that those kids are going to because just because it's a, a power five school or a D1 school, that doesn't mean that there's going to be appropriate things for them to be doing strength and conditioning wise and recovery wise. Um, exactly. You know, how long does that take for them to like flip the switch and be like, oh, I get it now. This is really going to make me feel better, even though I'm going to be uncomfortable for these 10 to 15 minutes of this mobility work. Yeah, they're usually the high school high school prep kids probably a couple months till they get they start getting into it because then then they're doing the workouts and the strengthening because a lot of the kids you know they haven't really trained trained like worked out like as a, as a program they'll go to the gym and do stuff but yeah usually a couple months like eight weeks it'll take like the guys that are going to do it they're going to do it if not then they're just you know they'll do it here and there but the guys that are going to like buy into everything and like do it are usually they're really good players and then they'll they'll buy it pretty quick because they'll start seeing the results not only in the weight room but on the court and then it just like clicks in them they're doing dunks they weren't able to do and they're they're feeling better the next day like oh i'm not as sore as i thought i'd be and then you'll see the guy next to him that wasn't doing this stuff for the last eight weeks and he's like oh you know i'm sore as hell i don't know what's going on i'm like you've been doing the programs well, a little bit like I'm busy I'm like you guys are here to just play basketball how are you busy like there's no way you got 10-15 minutes but it's like that's why I make them do it like with me sometimes even when we're on the road we'll do it like in the hotel we'll go down the hallway like do some stuff just because I know they're not gonna like it is what it is high school kids are just they're not gonna, either they're gonna do it or they're not and a lot of them you know, they just, they don't want to do that extra like little bit to, to get better. And that's why you got really good athletes and you got ones that are just going to make it by and do what they want to do. Yeah. And I, I think for me, like, I didn't realize, like, I guess how immobile or how like not functional you could say my body was until after I had graduated with my exercise science degree and I had been working for a year. And then I just randomly went into a, a CrossFit gym and overhead squats were part of the workout. And I was terrible at them. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm an ex-college athlete. I played two sports and I went to school for this. Why am I being yeah. exposed right now? And it really kind of set a, a, like a line of like, you know, a deep dive into like, what can I do since this sucks? What can I do to not suck at it anymore? Yeah. Um, are there, are there any kind of like, I guess like moments in, in the weight room that you see kids with like movements that you ask them to do that they suck at, that they're like, Oh, I need to get better at this because like my body should be able to move this way. Yeah. I mean, the one it's like, it's difficult with anybody. Like even me, I still suck at it. Just like doing a hang clean. <laughs> it's one that they all like, so our, one of our coaches, he was, he got so pissed that he wouldn't even do them anymore because he was trying to work out with one of our guys and it, it was just like, great golfer like he has he's smooth like uh, like his body moves good he just couldn't do it like even after the, the whole year of training he like just couldn't get it down and he just got so pissed off he just quit doing it and even just the simple like hip hinge just that that movement with every exercise just seems like kids just want to fall on their knees and they don't they don't know how to like move their hips back and use their butt and, 
like stretch everything out. So like single leg RDLs, uh, even, you know, squats, even just basic squats. So a lot of these kids that haven't worked out, they, it's, it looks terrible. It looks really bad. <laughs> their knees are touching, they're falling forward. And like, that's when you gotta just, you know, break it down and then show them. And once they get it, they'll, they'll do a weight that they like, Oh, I'll just put 25s on cause I couldn't do this last time. And once they get that, that movement now, especially for like squatting, like their maxes and just their, their, their weight that they're able to do just goes up substantially. And they, they just get that look on their face. Like, like, is they do it right? And then, you know, they always want like confirmation too, which is nice. So they're like, Hey, did I do it right this time? Like, watch me, watch me. Did I do it? Cause they'll see one guy get it down and then the next guy and all that. So it, the main moves are just like the hip hinge stuff that I see difficulty with. And then like the hang clean is probably the hardest one for them to actually like get down. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot going on in that movement. You know, you have to control a bar, put force into an object yeah. and you also have to move your body around that bar. Um, which, you know, there's some crossover in just that learning a new motor pattern into, into basketball. Um, CT, how's your mic working? We good? Yeah, I was just going to say, let me know if, right. if I break up your, are we okay? We're good. Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Yeah, again, I, I apologize for that. Paying too much money for Wi-Fi that doesn't work consistently. Um, Dr. Jack, on, on a point to the hip hinge, a point to the, the hand clean, um, I do want to ask about, and you, you mentioned earlier, you got six, eight, six, nine, seven foot guys where coaches are begging them to squat to depth. Right. And depth being, you know, ass to grass, what, whatever um, kind of that standard is for that gym. What, what should we expect our athletes um, to be able to achieve depth wise in a squat or depth wise in a lunge? What are some of these things that we can, we can look at some of these human beings that feel differently than I will ever feel doing a squat. I will never know what it's like coming down from, from, you know, seven feet tall. James will definitely never know what it's like coming down from a squat seven feet tall. What can we, um, you know, maybe demand of them to be able to reach a certain standard for them to still be able to feel good and feel confident with their, with their movement patterns. So a lot of stuff for, for like the taller athletes, like just looking at the squat, like, uh, I basically just, you know, you have tests, see where they're at to begin with. You obviously want to try to get more mobility if they're not like, it. I just go by like the 90 degree angle for that with them. That's kind of where I want them to be at, but I'll use more of, uh, like a single leg, like pistol squat with them guys. So I'll have them actually like just on a platform that's higher. That way they can drive their body down more. So we use a lot, I use a lot of that single leg uh, squat, the lunge, uh, with the taller guys, that's a little bit easier than the squat just because I just have them step and then drop their back leg down. So they're usually able to do that just because they're, they're normally, once they get it down, obviously, but they're, they're used to like getting on and off the floor, like when they fall down and getting up. So I just kind of drill that into them, like just step forward and just drop your back. Like, cause you know, they step and they want to just go forward, like lunge and then knees all over the place and they're falling over. But yeah. For the squat, I, I love using like uh, Matt, Matt Johnson, at, uh, you know, Butler strength coach. He'll always post stuff from these guys on like 30, 30 inch boxes and they're just on their single leg, just like doing single leg pistol squats on it. 
And uh, I think that's great for him to try to get mobility and build up with eccentric strength and, and control and balance all in one, and even with their uh, their core. And that'll kind of teach them, you know, if they get one side down, the other side down, and then just start working on like that squat depth a little bit more. But we have, I have a couple six, seven, six, eight guys that are, you know, they can do a pistol squat on like a 30 inch box and they're going all the way down to the road where it's bent. So I'll use some of that, some of that knees over toes guy. We'll go over some of that stuff too with them, uh, just for their tendon teller or patellar tendon, like health and strength and just mobility overall. But yeah, I, I don't really focus on like how deep they're going. Obviously, if you go to a certain depth, you're going to use more hamstrings and a kick in. And so we'll do a lot of hamstring work for them guys that can't actually like they're tall and they just can't. They're just not going to get that that deep and you know I, I got them for usually our team I'll have them for a year so it's like just continue to build as long as I'm seeing progress with their mobility and stuff and that's kind of where we go and as long as it's not drastically like to where they're just taking it off and going like down and up like I, I want to see some movement out of it and so that's why I'll use like the single leg stuff a lot more than, than just worry about like the, the traditional back squat or even have them doing front squats with it goblet squat yeah, we've had a lot of success with with those bigger guys. First, elevating the heels, keeping the torso a little taller, and let them use their legs a little bit. And then also, you know, regressing from a a front squat to a goblet squat, I think is a is a it gives those athletes a good opportunity to get kind of in in those better positions. Um, James, did you have another note you wanted to make on that? I, I want to talk about jump training. I was going to bring up the, the heel elevation as well. Yeah, okay. I was just going to ask, you know, based on that, is is that something that you utilize? And in, in CT, I think it's funny that you called like a, a goblet squat a regression from a front squat because like I have to constantly like talk guys out of that. It's not to me, it's not a regression. And I don't yeah. mean to contradict you here, but like this is like for me, it's like, hey, we're all right. There's a 150. Nobody's lifted it yet. Who's, who's yeah. going to be it, right? So, uh, you know, I think the outputs can be similar. But, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Jack, kind of uh, heel-elevated squats, it goes around uh, oh, yeah. the, the YouTube yeah. and the Instagrams. And I, I found a lot of success with it, helping my overhead stability and overhead squats. Is that something that you you yeah. incorporate with some of those taller guys? Oh, oh yeah, yeah for, yeah, for sure. Like, we'll do uh, elevated heel squats, uh, especially from the guys, like, they have decreased, like, dorsiflexion. Like, some guys just have, like, stiff ankles, and so – They'll have like a ankle mobility program. They'll work on squats that way, the heel elevated. And then we actually have a machine at, at my gym to where it's like a, it's like a platform, but then it has like a little raise. So they can actually go on that and hold up here. And then they do squats like that way. So it's like a little more focused and they're not really having to worry about like their heels and it kind of hits their quads a lot more. Uh, it's yeah. almost like a vert type of machine. It seems it like little, it's like a modified hack squat. Um, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. It, it looks pretty sweet and then there's like badass yeah. chains that like move the gears looks yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah looks pretty intimidating yeah so it's a good it's a good one for that and like even just doing you know like you could do uh like double leg squats and i'll take some of the weight off and have them do just like single leg jumps almost like a french french contrast type of thing on it and uh yeah i'm, I'm huge with uh i love doing the heel elevated stuff especially for taller guys just so they can even get that depth and just see it and feel it and get some of the muscles activated and working that they wouldn't normally get able to activate and work and you mentioned the the dorsiflexion issue and i think what we see a lot of times with basketball players specifically is they tape their ankles for everything 
right? Yeah. So then when they get in the weight room, the ankles are taped and they have high tops on and they can't, and then they wonder why their ankles won't move at all. And so I just had a conversation um, with our guys last week about that. And so that's why elevating the heels has been a little beneficial. We just want some flexion and extension. We want to open yeah. them up, up a little yeah. bit because they're so tight in there all the time. Yeah. And even just for Achilles health, like you don't, you know, if you're always in planar flexion or some form of planar flexion, then you go to stretch that out. But Achilles is just so tight in the calf that it's just, it's not going to allow it to go or just risk of it. Just like you take a quick step, quick jump and you, know, you have some sort of tear in a calf or Achilles. And that's, that's something you definitely don't want to deal with the Achilles tear. Oof. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a one, a couple, couple things I want to touch on here and then we'll kind of get into our almost rapid fire questions, but the next few questions don't have a ton of continuity. I just want to make sure we get some, some stuff answered before our, um, before our time runs out. So uh, jump training, do you have certain things that you like, certain things that you do um, that you've seen benefit from, from athletes, seen benefit from obviously working in the basketball space? That's what a lot of us want to do as players. Um, what are some of the um, things that you've been able to do to have some success there? Yeah, I like using for the jump training specifically. I like using uh, like a lot of French contrast training. So I'll do some like, you know, power explosion movement, do a band resistant movement, then just like a body weight. So like kind of like a circuit and then uh, other than that, it's basically just jump, like just do jumping stuff. Like don't overdo it, overdo it. Cause you know, kids, once they're able to dunk, that's all they want to do. So they're, that's all they're doing on the court. So, so, so basically just getting them in there, teaching them the mechanics, uh, a lot of calf work, like just to get that flick of your ankle, uh, getting their calves and the interior tip like stronger. But yeah. It's just a lot of like, power, single leg work, uh, work in plyometrics, uh, depend on the athlete and like what their position is, what they need to work on vertical wise. And I'll just load them up and then take the load off and then have them doing, doing like the single leg Bulgarian split squat jumps and uh, just different forms of jumping, working in different planes of movement, from like lateral frontal plane to like transverse, have them like doing twist jumps and Obviously for basketball, it's just they want to they want to jump as high as they can so they can do the best dunk they can. So it's you know you build that strength up first and then incorporate like your you know, uh, body weight, just band resistant type of stuff. We do have a Vertimax at the school which we'll use a little bit, and I'll, I kind of give the guys a program that they can do like twice a week, just that you know extra stuff that we're not doing in the gym. So it's basically a program where they're not going to hurt themselves, but it's not going to be complicated to where they can't understand it. So they'll do like Vertimax jumps, uh, Bulgarian split squat holds, and then they'll do like Bulgarian split squat jumps, like a superset. And then uh, just working in some like trap bar, barbell jumps and, and stuff, basically just loading their jump mechanics with it. Awesome. And I, I love how you said earlier, just jump too. That's yeah. another thing I, I find myself queuing. <laughs> I find myself cueing that more at the gym because they they want answers, right? Athletes want answers to the well. Is it one? Is it two? And I'll say just just jump, just go jump as high as you can and, and figure that out. Um, how about what what I think is super super cool and specific to your unique situation is that you have athletes that you're working with from overseas who come in just to play basketball and work with you. Um, are there language barrier issues that you you have to work through? What's what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, there's usually they're with their English, like our uh, 
our guard, Mike, he's actually a top 100 player. He's, uh, he's going to Dayton. His name's, uh, he's from Mongolia. So when he came in, like, he, he was just more of a shy kid. Like, he still understood, like, what we were saying. And he can he could speak English really good. But, yeah, the, the barriers kind of, you know, usually we'll have another player on one of our teams from that country that usually can, like, almost, like, serve as an interpreter for everything. And then just a lot of them will just, okay, coach. Like that's, that's what the thing I'll be like, how you feeling? You just rolled your ankle. Okay, coach. And they just say the same thing. And I'm like, then you got to start, the more you're around them and like know their personality, it almost makes it be like what they're thinking and what's going on. But yeah, we all, we usually have I, at least the two and a half years I've been there and like the players I've worked with, uh, they're either from the United States and then went overseas to play or, uh, they have another player from the country that speaks like can translate for them. So that helps out a lot, especially at our school, because we don't have an interpreter or anything like that. So just hopefully like when we get a kid in, like there's somebody that understands their language, but they still just kind of look at me and smile and all right. I'm like, you don't have any idea what I just said to you. And then I'll ask their buddy, does he know what I'm saying? He's like, no, he doesn't know. <laughs> so I was like, tell him this and tell him this, or I'll write it down and like give it to him and then I'll go over it later. But yeah, it's, it's been pretty, pretty smooth so far. Knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep our, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. Um, how about <laughs> traveling and training um, and, and traveling and eating too, which I always think is, is the, I, I think I know is so important. Right. And a lot of us kind of let that stuff go when we travel. Um, you're taking teams to Indiana. You're taking them to the East. You're taking them West. You're taking them, you're taking them all over the place. How are you able to kind of help them, um, you know, optimize sleep and eating around a, a crazy travel schedule? I think sleep's probably the hardest thing because except for the days we travel, then they're knocked out when they get to the room, but you know, they, they room together. So they're up on their phones, you know, they got their girlfriends and they're, messaging on social media and all that stuff that's the biggest part uh the good thing about our team is that we actually have so when we travel we'll have team breakfast uh we'll have team lunch and then team dinner and then in between those so they're actually we're actually going somewhere we're bringing food and all eating together so we can keep track of all that stuff uh the in between meals like it's basically here's some eat a rice krispie treat and uh Get, get a fig newton in you before before a game or during halftime if you guys are tired <laughs> just like force feed them some of that stuff but uh yeah sleep's the biggest part like the meals are pretty easy just because we have it pre-planned already so it's they basically it's there and they have to eat it and our coach is really good about that he'll just be slamming them like make sure you guys are eating eat double like drink your water and we get waters we bring uh things of water to everybody's room so they have enough water and make sure they drink it and on the way to the game. So it's, it's pretty easy, easiest on the, on the road because everything's provided for them. The hard parts when they're actually at the school, because they have options and DoorDash stuff. And then they have like the, the school meals that some of them aren't a fan of. So they like, Oh, breakfast had like these watery eggs. I'm not eating breakfast today. I'm like, just eat something, eat oatmeal and like peanut butter and sandwiches. You gotta, you can't just not eat something. So actually when they're, when they're home, it's probably hardest because some of the food, they just don't like it. <laughs> it's at the school. You said try to figure said stuff out. Watery eggs. I think we yeah. all have, have had oh, like gone, yeah. gone to a hotel and it, oh. they do that. And then they'll have like pork, say like, 
and it's the Salih House in like Andrew Osborne. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of kids from different nationalities and cultures and all over. So they try to accommodate to everybody. So sometimes they'll just have food and the kids are like, I'm not, there's no, I'm not touching that. I'm not eating that. So then they go DoorDash, McDonald's or Five Guys and with some of them, I'm like, hey, just eat something because you are you need to put on some weight because they usually come in underweight because they've never really done anything or ate and just played basketball and burned all their calories all day. So getting them to eat the hardest part of it. So the road is easy. Home is where the hard part is. Right, right, right. Um, couple couple kind of, you know, easier questions here. We want to learn a little bit more about you, Dr. Jack, then we'll, then we'll wrap up and let you go. But um we're just wrapping up the NBA All-Star weekend here in Cleveland, which was which was awesome. If anybody saw the All-Star game or any of the events, um, there was a lot of action down here, uh, downtown in Cleveland. That's why if you're watching the YouTube video, I'm, I'm wearing one of my um, Indiana Pacers, Reggie Miller jerseys, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, Dr. Jack, who is your favorite NBA player of, of all time? All and time did he make right. the top 70? Uh, did he make the top 75? Yes, he did. Allen Iverson. Oh, Allen Iverson was my favorite growing up because I was a guard and I was little. So I always like try to dunk. And I remember watching him at Georgetown and just, that was kind of like one of the first guards I remember watching. It was like, he would just take off and dunk on people. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Him and I liked Michael Jordan, but I wasn't like, cause I'm a big Cavs fan. So when Jordan was around, it was, he wasn't really the favorite person around Cleveland because he just beat us so many times. But yeah, Allen Iverson was was probably my favorite of all time. Yeah, I picked my Reggie Miller jersey out of my like eleven Allen Iverson jerseys that I have in my <laughs> in my closet, because I, I figured this was this was appropriate. Um, but yeah, I just had the conversation yesterday with one of my basketball groups that I train. They said, "Hey, who's who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time?" And I said, "I know the, I know what you want to hear." But my answer is Jordan is number two, LeBron's number three. And they were like, wait, no, behind who? I said, obviously AI, like the greatest player of all time. (laughs) Again, his height, what he had to do on the court, what they asked him to do. He had to play every minute. I mean, he took statistically the worst NBA team um, of all, of all time to play in a, to play in a finals at 2000 finals against the Lakers. I mean, he was just doing stuff that I don't think anybody will ever, ever do again, especially at his height. Yeah, and just mentally tough, like a dog on the court. Like, we weren't rattling him. That's why I try to get some of our kids because they, some, you know, you work with some of these kids and they just don't have that that dog mentality. I'm like, you got to watch Allen Iverson if you're a guard. Like, check out him. It's like nobody is doing shit to him. Like, he was, he was coming at you. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I, and I still think to this day, that's why I have tattoos because I grew up watching him and drawing them on me. And, um, (laughs) So anyway, James, we'll, we'll have you leave. And then Dr. Jack and I are going to do an hour podcast on Alan Iverson. Um, all right. How about a uh, favorite basketball movie? What was that? Do you have a favorite basketball movie? Blue chips. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, that's a year since I've seen that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Just cause I was, Shaq was one of my favorite too. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah, and again, a funny, funny thing about anytime Shaq comes up, I always think about there's somebody on the other team who has to guard him. Yeah. Oh, God. And there's a coach all week who says, this is how you do it. This is how you stop Shaquille O'Neal. You know, and the guy's like, dude, what? You know, and I, this guy's yeah. over seven foot. And I think that was my favorite just because, like, growing up, like, watching him dominate and then seeing a movie with him in it and kind of, like, you know, seeing what he did in, like, high school and, like, 
I was like, this is insane. Like, you'll never see that again. Somebody like that dominant as a center, like just tearing it up. No way. Anytime someone brings up Shaq, I have this like image of Kevin Hart impersonating how he falls. And it is, like, to me, it's just like, with his legs up. (laughs) Yeah, with his legs up. That's just so funny. That is such a big man. Oh. <laughs> we'll we'll have to link the YouTube video to the uh, yes. to the show notes for anybody interested in that. Okay, um, what is next? What's next for for Dr. Jack Lemon? Uh, next would be, I mean, obviously finishing this season out and uh, you know seeing what this off season has because every off season I've been doing uh, training at Upgraded Industries for he's going on fourth year. Yeah, because he's been open since 2017. So it'll be just, you know, seeing how this offseason takes off, uh, creating that. I'm, I'm looking at doing, obviously, I'm going to try to delve more into, like, doing podcasts and, like, lives and just putting some more educational content out there. Like you said, I was, I've been kind of, like, slacking on that just because I was, you know, started a new thing with the school, and I'm, like, their only guy in the school. The prep team just started out, so I've been kind of focusing on that a lot with all the players. So just doing a little bit more, uh, you know, social media presence, podcasts and things like just educate people that are on there and like actually follow me and try to build up that presence a little bit on that side. And then just keep, keep see what happens with uh, this prep school and just keep working with that. Excellent. We're, uh, we're excited to be able to be number one and, and have you, you know, number one on the list for the first podcast you've done. So thanks for giving us that opportunity. Um, Last question here. We wrap up every, every podcast with this. Um, what do you think coach that we are missing? We, as in, um, you know, strength coaches, as far as the basketball performance field goes. That's what I, uh, basketball performance, I would say probably just training them like basketball players to like focusing on like the skills that they need for that specific, that specific person, what he needs to work on, uh, being able to assess him at the beginning and then create a plan that's actually going to get him better at the skill set that he needs to take his game to for the next level. He wants to play to the next level. Basically not treating him, not treating every basketball player like a basketball player. And this is what you're going to do because you play basketball. So obviously center's got to be trained different than, than guards. And guards and wings got to be trained different based on their attributes and what they need to work on. So just being able to like, pick out stuff that's going to actually excel their attributes and get them to the next level where they need to be. Not just doing a cookie cutter program that you pulled off Instagram just because, well, this basketball player was doing it and having no idea what he's even working on. It could just be a couple blips from like a whole workout that they're doing. And just knowing that, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a little detail oriented in, in what your goal is and what the, the, player's goal is and try to just work together to get to that reset level and that is not um back and buys monday chest and tries tuesday legs yeah you gotta, you gotta throw in a, an immediate head pump every now and then just to make right. it feel good they all they all like that like i throw in the leg extensions just so they can see the veins in their quads and they, they feel good about putting their their short shorts on now that everybody wears <laughs> right they all come back james what do you say about the quad uh this is our quadcast. Oh, quad quads. oh, sorry. Yeah, the quads are the new biceps. I yep. should say that too. <laughs> right, especially yeah. especially for the basketball guys who who often don't have the, the big biceps but have the big quads. Um, Doc, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate oh, thank you having you, man. I appreciate it.
Yeah, appreciate you, you being here on episode 34. We got a mentor's not too far away. We can make that trip. Yeah, yeah, man, we can set something up, man. I'll even come out there. I actually did uh I worked with Ben G out there. Oh, and, uh, awesome. Yeah, I was with him when I was doing my rotation. So I actually worked in conjunction with him. I had a couple of my my athletes have uh went to him for insurance reasons for rehab and then I kind of did the sports performance end of it. So yeah, he's a great dude. He's awesome. So I know where you guys are located. Yeah, we definitely need to need to get together one time. I'll let you guys ball on me. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> make it a Friday so we could hoop together. That yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, that would be exactly. Fun. Then uh, then we'll, then we'll need I'll need you guys to do recovery shit on me because I'm yeah. <laughs> we'll just go. That'll be perfect. Walk. <laughs> well, we will. Yeah, right. We will collaborate. Hey, thank you again, everybody. Listen, this has been episode 34. Dr. Jack Lemon. I hope you took a ton of awesome information from this podcast. We ask you as always when we wrap up to, to do three things for us. One, continue to practice gratitude Two, tell the people that you love, that you love them every opportunity that you get. And three, live your life stimulated. Thank you all so much. We'll see you on the next one.